Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Chapter 2, verse 14, you might like to find your Bible, you might like to look on screen, you might have a phone that you want to disconnect from Wi-Fi because you don't want to go on Facebook right now, but you do want to read the Bible. And Isaiah chapter 2 verse 14 to 16 says this, Therefore I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Accor a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. Let's pray here this morning. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would illuminate your word to us. Lord, that every single one of us would head into 2021 knowing what it means to be called and what it means to be loved and what it means to be kept. Lord, I pray that we would get a greater glimpse of you this morning, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that we might see you more clearly and in light of that, we might see ourselves more clearly, Lord God. Lord, we pray for something supernatural to go on here this morning so that we might walk out of here with a greater revelation and understanding of who you are. And it's with expectation and faith that we pray. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's just go straight to this passage because it says at the start, therefore. And every time you see a therefore, you should look and see what it's there for. And so if we go back to the previous little passage of that, then what we see in Hosea is that Hosea is speaking to the people of Israel about their relationship with God, about the kind of people they are towards their God, the relationship that they have with him. And what Hosea is saying, as it relates to your relationship with God, you guys, if I were to describe it in a word, I would call it adulterous. Now, that's a bit of a burn for them. But actually, Hosea has, God asks him to do a theatrical analogy of that and to actually take an adulterous wife to himself for the people of Israel to get a clear picture of what he's talking about. He asks him to marry someone who he knows will be unfaithful to him. And in her unfaithfulness, Goma even bear children to him to show the kind of God that he is and the kind of people that Israel are to God. And so as the people of Israel are looking at this woman, Goma. We're talking small communities here. As they're looking at Hosea married to Goma and Goma committing adultery against Hosea, God's like, see? See what that looks like? You see how that has the ability to break up a relationship? Do you see the harm that that causes? That is the kind of relationship that you guys have with me. You're going after other gods. You're going after other things. And it's not like our nation. You know, we are adulterous to God in that way, in that we would put sport first, we would put money first, we would put, I don't know what else Aussies put first, jobs, yeah, absolutely, possessions, wealth, I was going to say a ruddy good time, but you can't say that. Um, (laughs) Not what Jules used to say, anyway. um, but, but whatever it might be, we, we put that first. But, but in this, he's saying you're actually putting pagan gods first. He says that's the kind of relationship that you have, therefore. So I don't know about you, but when I hear that kind of indictment against the people that they're not putting God first and they're not trusting in him, I would expect the therefore to follow that there would be judgment or there would be a list of consequences. But in the midst of the therefore, 
God gives a declaration and says, therefore, I'm going to allure her. And when he's saying her, he's talking about the people of Israel. It's the same way that we'd talk about Mother England, or it's the same way we'd refer to the church as her or she. He's talking about his people. So, fellas, it's not some her, it's, it's you as well. I will allure her into the desert. Now, you might say, well, well what's this got to do with us, Bron? But this is God's heart on display. This is not just God speaking to a people in the 8th century. Yes, that is exactly what's happening, 8th century BC. But it's also God's heart on display, and it's, it's consistent with the rest of the narrative, narrative of Scripture where God constantly reaches out to people and calls people to himself. So we're called, therefore I'm now going to allure her. I'm going to woo her. I don't know how you feel about this, fellas. I'm a, I'm a rom-com person. I'll watch them all day long. Anyone else with me? Yes. About three people willing to admit to that. <laughs> but all day. And, and so the thought of the pursuit, I'm there. I'm like, yes, I love this. I love this analogy. I'm going to allure her. I'm going to woo her. Yeah, and, and it doesn't just stop there with this 8th century BCE writing. It's right through to the book of Revelations where Jesus comes back on the white horse with faithful and true written on his armor. I'm like, the knight and the white horse has come home to save me. Hallelujah. Okay, uh, I've realized that maybe that's just unique to me. So I don't know how, how fellas you feel about this, but, but I think what you get, I think, fellas, what even you get is that you want to be pursued. Am I right, Daniel? You like it when Jules chases you around the farm? Yes, you do. <laughs> and she's way faster than you, so you accidentally keep falling over so that she can catch you. Bring it back in, Brian. <laughs> we all want to be pursued. We all want to be wanted in some way. And the Bible says in Psalm 23, the most famous psalm of all, the Lord is my shepherd. It says at the end, his goodness and mercy will chase me down all the days of my life. You are being followed. You are being pursued by his goodness and mercy. So when he says, I'm therefore now going to allure her, he's talking to the nation Israel who have committed adultery against him, who have been unfaithful to him, but he's also talking to us. And it says, I will lead her into the desert. You might think, yes, of course, he's going to lead her into the desert to so that no one will hear the nation scream as he destroys them because they haven't been faithful to him. But no, that's not what the desert is talking about. In Scripture, the desert is where God reveals himself to people. In Scripture, the desert is where God revealed himself to Hagar, a, 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 a woman, a slave woman who had been mistreated by her mistress, and, and she flees from her and goes out, and God reveals himself to her, and he, she calls him Elroy, God who sees. He, she sees a better picture of God in the desert, that God is a God who sees. Also, the next time she goes out as a single mom with her little boy and he's crying, the fulfillment of the name that God gave that little boy, Ishmael, a variation of Shamuel or Samuel or El Shema, the God who hears. They go out in the, to the desert to get a picture, better picture of God, a better clarity of who God is. Moses goes out into the desert having worshipped the, or, or been in a household that worshipped the sun god Ra, and goes out into the desert and sees God represented as a fire, but not consuming the burning bush. And God reveals himself as the God who is, I am, the God who has been, the God who is, and the God who will always be. And then Moses takes the people out into the desert. And here's God proposed to them and to ask them to come into a covenantal relationship with him. Elijah goes out into the desert and climbs up a mountain in the desert, Mount Horeb, where God speaks to him in a still small voice, a complete contrast to the 
violence and the threats that have been breathed out against him by the king and by the queen. He gets a better picture of God in the desert. And you might be feeling this morning as we wrap up 2020 that you're in the wilderness, that you're in some kind of desert or you've been walking through some kind of desert, some kind of vast uninhabited tract of land and you might feel completely alone. But maybe it's God who's brought you out into that desert because he wants to give you a better picture of who he is. Maybe God's brought you out into that desert because he wants to speak comfort to you. Maybe God has brought you out into that desert because he wants to speak tenderly to you and to bring you to a better understanding of who he is. Because you're not only called, but you're loved. You're called and he's called you, but also he loves you. It says, therefore, I'm now going to allure her and I will into the desert and I will speak tenderly to her. And he wants to speak tenderly to you. His kindness draws you to repentance. And repentance simply means to turn from what you're doing or to return to him. He wants to speak tenderly to you. The place of the desert to you might seem like it's this wilderness and lonely, but actually it's a place of redemption and restoration for you. He's bringing you back to himself He's reminding you of who you are in light of who he is. It says, there I will give her back her vineyards. Give her back. Give her back her abundance. Give her back her provision. I'm going to restore her to myself. The vineyards might have been taken in consequence of actions, and for Israel they certainly were. Maybe for you, things that you had are now gone, and and maybe they're actually even a consequence of your own actions. Maybe, maybe they were nothing to do with you whatsoever. But God never allows them to be gone for you to be left bereft, but for you to come to a place of greater fruitfulness, of greater provision, of greater abundance. And I'm not talking about material abundance. We live in Australia, people. We live in the most abundant nation. There is actually in 2018, I'm not sure about 2020, but we were the most prosperous nation per person. As according to median wealth. Not only that, if you went average wealth, we're the second most prosperous nation. And if you went the most equitable dis- distribution of wealth, we were the top nation. So, so I'm not going to talk to you about material abundance. Let's just be grateful for what we have and where we get to live. Amen. There's a bunch of people knocking on Australia's door wanting to live in this country. Although God, I believe, would bring us into a place where, where through wise stewardship and diligence and putting him first in our finance, where we would know that we'll always be taken care of. He promises that. But this provision and abundance, I'm talking about a holistic restoration of mind and soul and spirit where we feel free in our hearts, where we're connected to the life source, where that vineyard that we're actually abiding in the vine that is Jesus Christ, where where we're drawing on his life source and living a life of freedom and provision and abundance. We're loved, church. We're not only called, we're loved. And he says that, I'll make the valley of a core a door of hope. The valley of a core a door of hope. A core means trouble or disturbance. Did anyone feel any disturbance in 2020? A little? Anyone feel a valley of disturbance? Anyone feel a valley of trouble? <laughs> you know what? He says you'll make the valley of trouble a door of hope. You might feel like you're in the valley of trouble, but he's just making that thing a door into where you need to be. You might feel the discomfort of the disturbance or the inner turmoil of the trouble. 
But in fact, he just needs you to travel that veil because he wants to unveil the eager expectation of what you've been holding in your heart all along. Maybe it's necessary, the valley of trouble. Maybe the discomfort was critical for your confidence. Maybe the turmoil was paramount for the promise to come to pass. Maybe the trouble was uniquely designed to bring your desire around. What you see now as the valley of trouble, God is turning into a door of hope, a door of hope. You, you feel like you're in this valley, but you just need to keep traveling it because it's turning into a door that brings hope and restoration because that's who our God is. It's who he was in the 8th century BC and it's who he is today. He hasn't changed. It says, there she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. This is talking about when initially the people of Israel came into the desert, delivered from slavery. And this, this you know, Miriam sang in the desert. Tambourine, anyone remember tambourines in church? Anyone want to bring them back? You just got to do the you can learn it. I never quite get it. I feel like Kim Coleman had it sorted. Kim Jones, I don't know if she's here this morning. Um, focus, Bron. <laughs> I might be on a sugar high from Christmas stockings. Okay. Um, the day she came up out of Egypt, this word sing also means respond. Respond as she did at first when she first threw off slavery. The nation, when they first threw off slavery, how they responded initially. How did you respond at the start? Now, just to round out 2020, our family went up near Byron, um, Byron Bay, just in time for it to flood uh, in the, for four days. And we got the most stunning location. It was literally a few hundred metres from the beach. But because of our budget, if we've got a great location, we have to compromise on the actual accommodation. And so we had this teeny tiny little cabin and it was pelting down rain the whole time. And, uh, and so we were looking at the weather. We couldn't actually even see the beach. It was that ferocious. Um, and so we were looking at uh, the weather app and we saw that, you know, an hour and a half north at the Gold Coast that it was actually not too bad. So we thought, well, we'll, we'll drive the hour and a half. We've just been inside all day anyway. Um, that's what we'll do tomorrow. And so we said, well, do you guys want to go to Dreamworld to the kids? And um, once upon a time, if we had said, do you want to go to Dreamworld? It would have been, yeah, Dreamworld! And they would have started listing all the rides that they were going to go on and everything that was going to happen and, and um, you know, what, what they were going to see and what they were going to do and how much time they were going to spend in Dreamworld as opposed to Whitewater World. And, and then it got to the, that would have been the whole family. Then it got to the point where we could just drop them off because they were old enough as kids to be there on their own and, and Daz and I would go grab a coffee. But then this time, it was Bella, our oldest, going, oh, I've been to Dreamworld that many times. Must be nice, Bella. And, uh, and, and, and so the younger two decided that they'd go, and they were still moderately excited. Um, but Bella wanted to come Christmas shopping with me. Uh, the response wasn't what it used to be at the start. The response had toned down considerably. What about you as it relates to your faith in Jesus Christ? How's your response as compared to what it was initially? There's another prophetic book about a thousand years later. John writes to a church in Ephesus and he says, you know what, you're strong and you've endured and you hold fast to truth. But you've lost your first love. And I want you to turn, I want you to return, I want you to start doing the things that you used to do at the start. So what are some of the things that you used to do at the start that you're not doing now? I thought about this Christmas Eve and what was missing for me. 
I always used to, as a teenager, I'd go walking on our farm on Christmas Eve. It didn't matter how pitch black it was, the dirt road was light enough and my eyes would adjust enough that I could kind of stay in the middle of that and not fall into a ditch. And I'd walk that pitch black road and I'd remember Mary and Joseph and their journey, heavily pregnant on a donkey, and I'd think about what God went through for us, being in a womb and, and, and being a little baby and being so vulnerable and and I'd think about everything that he did. And, and I don't know when I stopped doing that. But somewhere along the line, I stopped doing that. I used to always walk on our farm. And somewhere in the midst of that, as a teenager, got some kind of identity crisis, as I think most teenagers go through. And I'd been told so much that I was so much like my dad. And I'd been told that, that even to the point where my uncle said he could close his eyes and listen to me having conversation. He felt like my dad was back in the room. And having never met him, I began to believe the lie that the only person who truly understood me, I would never, ever meet. And that I'd never be understood on earth. But because of walking on the farm and because of beginning to open the Bible on the bus as a teenager and beginning to read it, as I saw, not because anything that of me, I'd seen a mate do it. I didn't even know I could read the Bible for myself. Anthony Staines, I was staying at their house, he was reading the Bible in his room and, and I was like, oh, wow. He's a teenager, he's reading the Bible, I better, I should start doing that. And on the bus, I'd begin to read the Bible on the hour trip into town. Because of reading the Bible and because of God's word going into me and because of having that time of going for walks, God began to unpack the lie that I'd never be understood and began to tell me how much he understood me and how much he loved me because we are deeply loved. What did you used to do that kept you having that closeness and proximity to God that now you're no longer doing? And is God drawing you out into an uninhabited tract of land so that you can begin to do those things again that you did at the start? Because you're not only called, but you're loved. And when somebody loves you, they want to be with you and they want you to be with them. They don't want to love you from a distance if they really, truly love you. They don't want to send you money at Christmas and Easter if they really, truly love you. They want to be with you. Because you're called and you're loved and you're kept. Last passage of that scripture says, In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me your master. Master-servant is a transactional relationship. You do for me and I'll give you good if you do good and I'll give you bad if you do bad. But God says, no, you, I'm your master. I'm not your master, I'm your husband. I desire a love relationship with you. I don't want transaction. I want relationship. And then it goes on and says in verse 19 to 20, I will betroth you to me forever. That's what he wants. He's committed. He's all in forever. He's not looking for ways to cast you off. He's not waiting till you do the wrong thing so he can wipe you. He's in it forever. And if anything happened in 2020 where you went, God, I disappointed you and now I've got to do my time, he's like, no, I'm all in, committed to you forever. I'm betrothed. I'll betroth you in righteousness and justice, saying I'll not only do right to you, but I'll do right by you in love and compassion. I love you and I'm going to have compassion. My heart will go out to you in compassion. I'll betroth you in faithfulness because great is his faithfulness. And then's our part, and you will acknowledge the Lord. You will acknowledge the Lord. Called, loved, and kept in 2021. 
Imagine if you could understand the gravity and the weight and dwell in who he is and who you are in the midst of being called love and kept. He's, he's wooing, he's calling, he's loving, he's keeping, he's committed, he's betrothing. But it's up to us to respond. Jazz gave me this awesome picture for Christmas that I'd wanted for ages. It was a big, don't judge me, Highland cow. Doesn't everyone want that picture? Yes, thank you. An awesome Highland cow. I'm thinking about calling him Harold, but I figure that's probably a giraffe's name. Um, but it's, I love it. I love it so much. But imagine if I had it just left it wrapped and on the floor where it was under the tree. No, no, I needed to unwrap that thing. I needed to put that up for that to bring me joy every day. I needed to look at that thing every day for it to bring me joy. Now, I don't doubt that at some point I'm going to get used to Harold on the wall and, and I'll stop noticing him. But then I'm going to have to be intentional about noticing him again and, and him bringing me joy again. How will you respond? How will you respond? I'm going to ask um, my girls and Dan Moore to come now. And um, just as she comes, it was Katie's first time on music this morning. So I welcome her. She loves being, loves the spotlight, don't you, Katie? Favourite. And um, Steph, I'm so glad she got to do it with you. Worship leading was awesome. And um, But they're going to come and they're going to bring a song. And I'd love it if we could take time right now to respond to God. We're going to continue the conversation in a moment. If you've got any questions about it, I'd love you to text them through. I would also love you to take a moment this morning to respond. May you know that you're called this morning. But not only that you're called, you're pursued. I wonder if you can identify with Francis Thompson's poem, The Hound of Heaven, where he said, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him and amidst running laughter. Up-fisted hopes I sped and shot precipitated down Titanic chasmed fears. From there, strong feet followed, followed after. But with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed and majestic instancy, they beat the feet and a voice beat more constant than the feet. See, God is chasing you down. He's not perturbed. He's not freaking out. But with unhurried haste, he is chasing you down. And he's never going to stop pursuing you. I pray that you would know his feet. And I pray you would know his voice. I pray you would know that you were called and that you would turn and return, that you would feel his kindness leading all men everywhere to repentance, including you. I pray you would know his comfort in the midst of the calling. I pray you would know his great love that pursues, that chases down, that commits, that provides, that's all in, that's betrothed forever. It's like the psalmist that says, if I go to the deepest depths, you are there. If I go to the highest heavens there, your love is. If I ride the wings of dawn to the furthest ocean, I can't get away from your love. That's the paraphrase. I pray you would know that you're kept and that no one can snatch you out of his hand. 
keeping you. Do I believe that you can walk out? Yes, I do. No one can snatch you out. May you respond to him. And as the girls sing and Dan plays, I pray that you would dwell in his calling. I pray you would dwell in his love. I pray you would dwell in his keeping because he's able to keep you from falling and he'll bring you with great joy into his presence. Running through the 
Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.